What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, these boots are made for walking. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Joe McCormick, and our other host, Lauren Vogelbaum, is still under the weather, but she will be back with us next time, I'm quite sure. Yeah, pretty pretty, pretty positive on that. And, don't, uh, don't worry about her. She's doing fine. She just got this scratchy throat. It's a bit of a shame, because she's the one who actually pitched this episode topic, wasn't she? I think so. So, Jonathan, I have a question for you. Ask me, Did please. you ever? Did you ever own a pair of moon boots? I, I can honestly say with 100% conviction that I have never owned... A pair of moon boots. You're aware of what I'm talking about, though. I, like the, not I, not the actual boots that astronauts wear on no, the surface No, you mean of the, the style of boot known as moon boots. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I, I had never owned a pair of those. I have worn things that I suspect were equivalent to moon boots, at least in their uh, the the clunkiness factor. 
but I personally have never owned any. Oh, that may be what I had. When I was a kid, I had some puffy boots that I referred to as moon boots. I don't know if moon boots is a... A brand? Is that a brand or just a style? Well, anyway, I I don't know one way or another, but I had some puffy boots that were quite beloved to me, and I wore them out in the snow, and then I wore wore them out in the summer also, just because I thought they looked cool. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, you know, it just tells me a lot about you, Joe, and and be proud of who you are. Uh, but we wanted to talk today about a specific type of of uh, approach to designing shoes for astronauts specifically, but there are implications beyond that, that address some problems that uh, they've encountered in the past. So let's let's talk about why we would even have this conversation in the first place. What is the big issue? What is the problem astronauts face? The problem is astronauts are always too intoxicated <laughs> to walk around properly. No, that's not true. No, not at all. We, we are, but however, if you were to watch certain videos. You might get that impression because Jonathan, did you watch the astronauts I, falling over Supercut? I did. I even, I even have a little, little uh, note that I put on there. Okay. So. Joe decided to kind of watch this video and then he shared the video in our notes of astronauts having difficulty standing upright while walking about on the moon's surface. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really what this episode is all about. Like how can people design uh, a a system that allows astronauts to walk around uh, on a surface like the moon's surface without – the danger of constantly falling over because based upon the YouTube video you've sent, it looks like that is uh, a a common issue. Well, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like they walking can be hard when you're on the moon, you know? Yeah. I I wrote my comment on the video was this is majestic. (laughs) You really get the sense of achievement and grandeur as you watch chubby figures fall about in the dust. It really is like watching little toddlers fall over in a sandbox a lot. (laughs) But it's not the fault of the astronauts. It's just really hard to get around in bulky spacesuits. And once you're down, it looks like it's pretty challenging to get back up again. Yeah, they, they kind of try all these little moves to sort of pop back up, but they keep falling over. And it, they look like crazy breakdancing moves at some points. Because there's one point where you see a guy uh, who is holding himself up in a horizontal position on like, like parallel to the moon's surface. And on trying, his hands. On his hands and just trying to push himself up so they can get his feet up underneath himself. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. And, and of course, this isn't just the moon. This is presumably true for other space environments like Mars and other foreign planets as well. Yeah, asteroids as well, that yeah, kind of stuff. Probably even harder on asteroids because oh, yeah. of the lack of, uh, I mean, almost you know, no significant. Negligible gravity, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so spacesuits are bulky. They're pressurized environments, and they can tend to cause a feeling of perceptual segregation from the outer atmosphere. You know, you're, like you're living in this interior world and just sort of vaguely bubble-boying through Yeah, like your, your perception your is all thrown off. Yeah, uh, so th- th- they have to be bulky, of course, because, of you know, they have all these built-in protections, shielding, regulatory systems. Yes. Uh, but this often leaves the astronaut with a sort of limited ability to sense their surroundings, both by sight and by touch. Right, and then with that reduced gravity, that 
I would imagine adds another element of uncertainty and uh, and and kind of clumsiness to the whole thing. Uh, I imagine that walking around on the moon is a lot like – have you ever gone up a set of stairs that you've gone up and down a thousand times mm-hmm. and you're not really paying attention and in your mind you're thinking there's either one more or one fewer step than actually are there on the stairs? Uh-huh. And that is a a really alarming thing to have happen to you. That moment you either take an extra step on a stair that's not there or you fail to take that extra step and you miss a step that actually is there. I argue often that it's worse going down than going up. Like I've tried to step down at the bottom of a set of stairs when I thought there was one more to go. And it is the most jarring experience to try and step down where you cannot because there is solid floor there. Though I imagine it is much more jarring to step down thinking you should be experiencing about, you know, 0.8 more G's than you are. Right. And then you end up falling over as a result because you have either underestimated or overestimated. You couldn't really tell when you were making contact. You didn't really know when you could shift your weight, and so you either do so prematurely or you're not quite ready to do so when you need to. All of these factors come into play, and it explains why we get this wonderful sequence of astronauts falling over as if they're just completely helpless on uh-huh. the, the surface of the moon. Uh, but of course, when you are on a literal moonwalk falling over, despite how funny the video is, that's not a good idea. You exactly. don't want to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, number one, spacesuits are pretty well shielded, but there's always a chance that you could damage or puncture something vital. That, Which is pretty much everything on the spacesuit. Yeah. Uh, then on top of that, there's just the waste of limited time and oxygen resources lying stuck on the ground like this marshmallow man turtle thing. Right. If you have a specific uh, set of goals for your moonwalk. You don't want to get stuck for 10 minutes trying to get up. Yeah. Because obviously whenever any of that stuff gets planned out back on Earth in the initial stages where you've you've got your mission parameters set, you're going to build in extra time, right? You're never going to say, let's let's really cut this to the wire, right? <laughs> that that yeah. makes no sense. However, if you fall over, then you start eating up that extra time that was built in. And, and this is a real concern. Yeah, so the story that made us want to do this episode today is about a particular response to this kind of problem. So the the story uh, refers to some work done by MIT's Department of Aeronautics and Astronautics or AeroAstro mm-hmm. and the Charles Stark Draper Lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I and love the, the fact that it's in Stark Labs. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, not that Stark. No. Because no. he works alone. It's a stark contrast. I imagine it is. All yes. Right. Now, so they've been working on uh, th- this potential solution, and it is space boots with environmental sensors uh, and embedded haptic motors. So it works like this. Mm-hmm. Imagine you are an astronaut on the surface of the moon, and you're shoveling up some barrels of lunar regolith to transport back to Earth, where it has become a wildly popular flavoring agent in hot cuisine. Of course. Uh, but of course you are walking through a shallow dip on the lunar surface and you feel a sudden vibration on the outside toe of your left foot. So you stop, you take a step back, you look down, you see, oh, there it is. It's a rock. Or maybe it's a little Roomba-sized robotic rover sitting deactivated in your way. Whatever it is, having avoided tripping over it, you go around, scoop up some more of the uh, ultra-fine particles of cash money. 
Nice. Pretty simple, right? Yeah. So you don't have to depend on your eyes. You've got a tactile sensation, this vibration that warns you to stop moving and rechart your course. And that's exactly what we mean when we talk about haptic feedback. If you're not familiar with the term haptics, it really means uh, engaging your sense of touch Mm -hmm. in a way that gives you more information about something, whether it's your environment or a virtual environment or something along those lines. A very basic example of this is you likely have a smartphone or cell phone that has a little motor that vibrates when you get a call or a text. That's a haptic feedback system telling you, hey, you've got an alert. So maybe it doesn't make an audible uh, alert so that, you know, if you're at work, you're not having your phone go boop, boop, or whatever. Uh, well, here's one. You, if you have a touchscreen keypad on your phone, yep. it, very likely the phone vibrates ever so gently when you correctly press a key. So that way, so that you know yeah. you did hit the key instead right. of sort of going off the side and not registering the uh, the input. Right, or that you just start typing, you know, H H H H H H H for hello because you haven't figured out if you're actually. You know, making that contact with the screen or not. Right. And I found out uh, when, when my phone's power saving features go on, when it's low on battery and it stops doing that that response. Yeah. Uh, I find it disturbing when I'm typing with my fingers. I'm like, wait a minute, am I am I typing? I don't know if the letters are going. Through. Yeah, I, I've I had, gotten used to it. I had turned mine off uh, when I was at home um, after a certain time. Like I could, I could create parameters of when haptic feedback was turned on or turned off. Uh, and that was specifically so that I didn't disturb either my wife or my dog whenever I decided to look on something on my phone and look something up. Because every every time I would type, mm-hmm. you get this little haptic buzz and it would be distracting. But I also found it very difficult to navigate on my phone without it because without that feedback to reassure me that yes indeed your touch has been uh has been registered Mm -hmm. uh i felt like i wasn't properly activating my phone so haptic is a very powerful kind of discipline it's a a very powerful technology uh or, or strategy i guess you could say to engage our senses in another way and give us additional information yeah it's a it's a way of repurposing uh information that you would get through one sense and feeding it through a different one Mm -hmm. So in July of this year, researchers uh, presented their findings on on these haptic feedback boots, yeah. I guess, boots for space, at the International Conference on Human-Computer Interaction. And specifically, they've been studying what types of sensations applied to which regions of the foot do the best job of keeping people from tripping over things. Uh, or actually, uh, th- that part would be inferred because really yeah. what they're looking for first is like when people can feel – the sensation and how well they can feel it. Right. And and can they identify from what direction it's it is coming so that way like yeah. if we were to have the outer left edge of your foot uh buzz, would that translate in your mind, oh, there's something forward and to the left of me that I need to look out for. Yeah. Uh, and and there are lots of different options for how you could provide haptic feedback. Sure. Right? So, yeah. uh, you know, our nervous systems are kind of quirky for reasons of evolutionary happenstance. And so they respond better to some stimuli than to others. So mm-hmm. w- they actually looked into w- what works best. So scientists Allison Gibson, Andrea Webb, and Leah Sterling conducted this study to find out exactly how good people are at detecting different kinds of sensations on their feet under various conditions. 
Oh, my feet. My feet were tingling reading about this. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear about the experiments because they included everything from kind of a straightforward approach where they said, are you going to feel a buzz? I need Mm -hmm. you to tell me like – on a scale of maybe one to 10, how strong was that buzz and where on your foot did you feel it? Right. And then they started making it a little more complicated by making people like do things while they're administering the buzzes and try and see like, well, can they still accurately describe the intensity and the location? Because this obviously that would be important. You know, if you're walking around the surface of the moon, you're probably not just completely focused on how are my feet feeling right now. No, you're trying to get that delicious regolith back yeah. to your uh, back to your transport. Emerald will not wait for his <laughs> for his moon spice. Bam. Uh, so if you want to look up their their presentation, it's uh, it's called user abilities in detecting vibrotactile signals on the feet under varying attention loads. Vibrotactile is amazing. Uh-huh. What a great word. And yeah, varying attention loads. Obviously, that's the reference to what. I was talking about earlier right. that you know sometimes you have to create some distractions nothing of real like importance or, or urgency but rather just something to occupy the person's mind yeah so uh, th- that example is one of the independent variables they tested attention state whether mm. you're distracted by other stuff another one was vibration locations so of toe or heel in step or outside etc and then the third was vibration signal type and this is not correct but i wish this meant good vibrations versus bad <laughs> vibrations bad vibes man uh-huh uh, no, in actuality, the different vibration types were high, low, increasing, and decreasing. Oh, okay. And increasing and decreasing matter because uh, of something I'll get to in a bit. Well, well, before before we get into that, just for a clarification on my own part, because this was something that I missed when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. When they say high and low, are they talking about frequency or intensity? Oh, well, actually, I think it's intensity, but... Yeah. Uh, I'm not positive about yeah, that. Yeah, because I was I assume wondering. It's intensity. I would yeah. think so too, because yeah. to me that would just mean like, is the motor vibrating at a greater intensity? As in, is it making heart great bigger vibrations? Is the amplitude increased uh-huh. as opposed to is the frequency increased? I would imagine the same thing. That was my interpretation. Uh, uh, yeah, but I, think I didn't it's actually intensity. read. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. Uh, so uh, the, these could be delivered to six different places on each foot, and that results in 24 unique different kinds of signals. And then they also, like you said, they, they ran a distraction test. So they, they were like, let me know if you can feel anything on your feet and uh, and what it is, where it's coming in and, and what it feels like. Yeah. But then also do that while I show you a random number and you start to count up by threes. Jonathan, 24. 27, 30, 33, 30. Oh, I gave you an easy one. Let me get a harder <laughs> no, one. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't. I'm a liberal arts major. <laughs> Uh, so, but it turns out even with a pretty simple test like this, subjects had some difficulty. They, yeah. they had trouble identifying when the vibration, for example, was steadily increasing. So that, that's not just the on and off high and low sensation, but, uh, when it's slowly getting more intense. Mm-hmm. And even in the undistracted condition, so even when they're not trying to do the counting, people did not do a great job of detecting when vibration was decreasing in intensity. Uh, and also, no surprise here, but some parts of the foot are just more sensitive than others. You know, the middle of the outside of the foot was pretty dumb. Mm. By the way, a little side note, do you ever play that game where you touch somebody's back with different numbers of fingers and ask them how many it is? You should, you should agree beforehand 
with the person you're playing. Right. With no, their with. consent is absolutely don't, necessary. Don't surprise somebody with this game. I've, I've played variations of that. Like as a kid, there's also the, I'm going to draw something on your back. Tell me what it was you, you, I drew. And yeah. I, I, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. People yeah. don't realize how dumb their backs are. The tactile right. neurons back there is just, I don't know. You know, I'm, t- you touch somebody with three fingers and they're like, Oh, one. Right. Yeah. I say, and so you think about it, like, there are definitely going to be areas of the the foot that will be more responsive to to haptic feedback than others. Mm-hmm. And I, when they were talking about increasing or decreasing the intensity, I could easily imagine that being a difficult thing to uh, to detect. Even so much as like even if I have a phone in my hand and I'm increasing the motor intensity, mm-hmm. until you get to like unless it unless it does so, does it in big jumps. The differences can be fairly subtle. And then I think, well, what if I felt that on my foot? And what if that were the important determining factor? Like, as I approach a potential stumbling block, Mm. the intensity increases. Uh, If it is too subtle, then that becomes kind of useless. It just is going to be a constant distraction as I look around and maybe I can't identify what the thing is because it's not quite close enough for me to notice that it is something I'm going to stumble over. Uh, and then next thing you know, I start to ignore this this buzzing because so right. frequently it's not helpful. And then I'm falling all over again. That exactly is a problem. People are worried about, okay, so how do you keep people from tuning out the feedback? Yeah, you have to have it be urgent enough that it's meaningful, but not so urgent that it is that it's misleading. Yeah. Right? There, It's a delicate balance. But you could see where it could become really useful if you mm-hmm. have these sensors in a boot and y- you have the alert happen uh, where it's not going to be so sensitive that it's 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 set off by everything. Right. Because then you're just like, well, all I can tell you is being on the moon is crappy. Yeah. Because my feet are just buzzing. These dogs are buzzing, <laughs> in other words. That's the alternate title for this episode. Yes. Uh, so, of course, this technology, it's still got a lot of ground to cover, as you can tell from the study, yeah, but uh, a lot of moon ground. Uh, because while a simple on-off vibration might be somewhat helpful, one thing about the world around us is it's best represented by continuous data, not on-off data. Analog rather than digital. Yeah, so the, the increasing and decreasing quantities would probably be the best way to represent something like proximity or even like the uh the size of the potential obstacle because again yeah. we ha- you have such a limited field of view inside a space helmet right yeah. like it, it cuts off your field of view significantly uh, it, it, you might want to use intensity to indicate perhaps not the distance to the obstacle but perhaps the 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 uh, size of the obstacle, like whether or not it's a sizable rock that's ahead of you that you might stumble over or a drop down that's been you know, that your boot has uh, uh, detected right. where, you know, you don't want to have that next step forward be four inches lower than what you had anticipated. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, MIT news piece that covered this particular research also, I thought this was interesting, spoke to a Dr. Shirley Reitick, 
a professor of health and kinesiology at Purdue who specializes. She specializes in like falling down basically. Yeah, so uh, do I. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but not not I don't have the credentials. I just have the experience. Yeah. Uh, America's <laughs> funniest home videos professor. And she, <laughs> she, but she pointed out uh, that this would be useful for more than just astronauts. I think that that's clear, but for who? Well, she gave the example of how about firefighters? Absolutely. So yeah. for firefighters, you go into a burning building, there's flames, there's smoke. Environmental navigation inside a burning building is a well-known problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so this could be very useful for them too. And I imagine maybe deep sea divers, maybe, uh, you know, there, there are lots of conditions where you don't want to be tripping over stuff and your personal visibility is going to be limited. And even beyond that, we started talking, and in fact, articles have also been pointing this out. It's not just Joe and I have come up with this idea, but we've talked about how these sort of haptic feedback systems could be used for people in everyday situations. Sure. Particularly people who may have, uh, uh, problems with their vision. Yeah, right? exactly. So one obvious application would be for people with visual impairments. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at a certain level, this is harder than it sounds because y- you can give somebody a vibration in their shoe if they're about to kick something. But how do you communicate more complex navigational information about a person's surroundings without visual information? The thing about the astronauts is they should be able to see generally what's going on around them. The problem is they might not notice there's a rock at their foot. Right. Uh, but uh, but imagine you're completely blind mm-hmm. and you're trying to use haptic feedback to give people navigational information about what's around them. You can you can give a kind of dumb information, but right. it gets more difficult the more info you're trying to encode. Right. So so indicating that there's a p- possible surface that you're going to come into contact yeah, with. Yeah. There's a wall right there. That's that's one thing. But to get to a level like the the way I just how, how about there's a street and there are cars on it. Right. Right. One of the things I thought about when we started talking about this is it's a a step toward spidey sense, but perhaps a better representation would even be Daredevil's heightened senses that Daredevil's capable, even though he's blind, Mm -hmm. Matt Murdock, spoiler alert, is blind. (laughs) He's capable of sensing um, through this this crazy heightened ability to – Almost see vibrations, like yeah. he can he can sense sound at such a level that he can and he knows shapes of things and whether something is coming toward him or moving away from him. That level is well beyond a little motor vibrating against you to indicate that there is something you might be bumping into in the very near future. Mm-hmm. And um, and while I think that this technology definitely has the potential to increase a person's environmental awareness, uh, particularly someone who perhaps has has just become blind, who hasn't had hasn't been dealing with an impairment over the course of years, uh, this might be something that is more helpful. Yeah, and this is something that is also under development. In fact, more MIT research. Uh, there, there's research on the hardware behind a wearable device that uses 3D camera data to provide navigational feedback to people with visual impairments. It's been known as the virtual guide dog. Interesting. Uh, but, you know, Jonathan and I were talking before we came in here about the idea of, of expanding this even farther mm-hmm. with something that Jonathan dubbed uh, pedestrian assist. Yeah, kind of modeled after the driver assist systems that we're familiar with. Things like, you know, the lane assist, parking assist, braking assist, acceleration, you mm-hmm. know, uh, 
cruise control. But in this case, obviously I'm not talking about your, your shoes magically taking over for you and like, Hey shoes, I want to go to the mall. And yeah, <laughs> they just right. start stepping and you're just like, Hey, I can go to sleep now. Yeah. So it'd be self powered, but it would be, uh, sort of like a, not self driving car for your feet, but self navigating car for your feet. Uh, yeah. Or, or at least giving you, yeah, that driver assist, that warning, uh, that alert like accident of, prevention, right? Like you're like going that. to, hey, buddy, stop playing Pokemon Go for three freaking seconds. That is a thing because you're gonna run into that street lamp. People have walked off, off of ledges, haven't they? I, I have personally, like, I, I play Pokemon Go, so full, full disclosure, I play the game. I, uh, I do not. <laughs> Disclosing your conflict of interest. Yes, exactly. Well, I want to make sure that people know that I'm not making fun of folks who play Pokemon Go. I'm making fun of myself, a person who does play Pokemon Go. It's <laughs> a so, uh, subtle difference. I have made it a point when I started playing, and I've, I've stayed true to this, that I will not pay any attention to my phone whenever I am crossing streets. Uh-huh. Because I know I would be that person who, stumbles over a curb and causes danger to myself, to others, to, you know, giving drivers a heart attack, maybe possibly suffering a massive injury or perhaps even death because I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing because I, I am aware of this. And I have had situations where I have made contact with stationary objects because <laughs> I was looking down at my screen and not up. Now, in in my case, that stationary object was a tree branch that in my neighborhood there's this one tree where the branch is, is slightly uh, lower down to the ground than my height is. So if I don't duck, I will bang my head against it. Uh-huh. But if my if I'm looking down toward my screen, it's out of my view, my field of view. Right. So I, I have hit on more than one occasion the top of my head against this branch. Now, it hasn't always been because of Pokemon. Sometimes it's a real monster, that being my dog. So I'm often looking down at him and I frequently nearly not quite clothesline myself. It's not quite low enough, but I do get knocked right at the crown of my head. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you were on the way home and FaceTiming with him before you got there. <laughs> if my dog learns how to FaceTime, it will be the end of times. But because uh, I will never do anything ever again other than FaceTime with my dog. But uh, no, it, it it is definitely one of those things where if I were to have some sort of of sensor on me and clothing that could say, hey, dude, heads up, then mm-hmm. I would not have that experience. Now, in my case, that was a very minor inconvenience. I was never hitting it so hard that I was causing myself real injury. It was more more than anything else, I was feeling embarrassed yeah. about clocking my head because I wasn't really paying attention to where I was going. But this could really end up being something that prevents injury and death mm-hmm. if if actually rolled out to and incorporated in a larger number of, of uh, wearables. Yeah, and of course, Jonathan, you were mentioning something about the way haptics would be incorporated in uh, uh, in virtual reality and augmented reality environments. Yeah, so this is not unusual either. It's something that a lot of... In fact, I would argue that the video game world has uh, pushed the haptic discipline forward more than anything else mm-hmm. as an effort to create more immersive experiences for gamers. So... A very simple version of that is the rumble pack that you find in a lot of game controllers, right? That yeah. gives you that. So like, like when there's thunder in the game, the controller vibrates and gives you that sensation. Something that you don't even really necessarily register after you've played a lot of games with that kind of functionality. But when it's gone, you're like, oh yeah, that is, that does make a difference. Well, in virtual reality, obviously you're in, you're 
interacting with a world that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's purely digital. It, it is over. It is replacing the physical world around you, um, and it may mean that you need to do things like interact with certain objects in the world. When you include haptic feedback in that world, it increases that sense of immersion that you are really in that virtual environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is tricky to do, right? Like we don't have a whole lot of examples. I've seen some stuff like I wore a vest at CES one year that was a haptic feedback vest for video games that would that had lots of little actuators and motors in it so that when you got shot in a game, it would map it would the location. It would stab a hole through you. It would give you a good thud at the location of the shot. So if it was a uh, like a shot in the shoulder, your shoulder would actually go thud. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's not pleasant. Uh, they also had helmets. I did not try one of those on. Um, being a bald guy, I'm not thrilled about putting on helmets that other people have tried. Uh, oh, why not? You're the least susceptible to head lice. Well, I don't want to make other people think, oh, the sweaty bald guy just took that helmet off. Now i got to put it on. <laughs> oh, I uh, understand. I don't like to share those kind of things. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, again, increases your sense of immersion. It could be very valuable. I've seen some really cool prototype uh, devices that give that haptic feedback to create that that more convincing uh, situation, which can be really useful, whether it's a game or some other experience. Uh, like, have you seen the gloves that it looks like you put your fingers through uh, a set of rings and each ring is attached to what looks almost like a piston? Um, I'm not sure I have. What, so, what is that for? So each finger is on, uh, again, they look like little pistons that, that look like almost like pneumatic pistons, uh-huh. right? And the idea is that it creates resistance so that when you are picking up a virtual object in a game, ah. it increases resistance as if you were actually gripping that object. Wow. So, and you could, uh, you can adjust the level of resistance. So a soft object has less resistance. So you can, you know, you, you, Definitely feel it. It's more than if you were to just open or close your hand. Uh But a hard object would have greater resistance, hopefully mapped so that it would kind of like, quote unquote, feel like your hand is closing around an object of about the same size as what you're seeing on the screen. Now, that doesn't solve the problem of the fact that everything's weightless, right? right? Like it's or or it's rather just the weight of whatever the the actual glove you're wearing happens to be. Well, they need to make uh, things in the gloves that adjust their mass. Yeah, right? <laughs> like suddenly, so it just converts energy to mass or releases a, yeah. an equivalent amount of energy when you drop it. You know, you set off a nuclear bomb every time you, you <laughs> drop something from your inventory. No big deal. Uh, I mean, you know, there are other ways of doing that, but it mostly involves turning your game room into like a crazy system of pulleys and restraints that uh-huh. are going to raise some questions in your average household, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, the, the having this haptic feedback, uh, for, for augmented reality or virtual reality, very important because we are trying to marry a real experience with a digital one to some extent, you know, uh, replacing the real experience with a digital one in the case of virtual reality, augmenting in the case of AR, but either way, you need to have, uh, or at least it, it is beneficial to have that additional haptic feedback to make the experience more meaningful, powerful, memorable, uh, and even easy to navigate. Uh-huh. Right? Like when you have that, that force feedback and it reinforces the idea of this is a real experience, then it is uh, easier to to create something that a user is going to find gratifying. 
If you don't have that there, ultimately you have people who go through that experience who want to test the boundaries of what is what it's what is possible to do in there. And as soon as you find something that's not possible to do, you get that sense of oh, well, that's disappointing. I was really hoping I could do this thing, which is why like like there's um. A game, uh, the, the job simulator game for VR. We talked about yeah, this in yeah, a previous yeah. episode. Now, I, I, there's haptic feedback doesn't really f- fit into this, but the, the idea that, you know, you start coming up with an, a, a, a concept like, what would happen if I did this? Did they think about that? And whenever you try something and you realize, oh, they did think about it and they created a funny outcome uh-huh. for this thing that I just came up with. It delights you because it means someone has thought the same goofy stuff you thought. Yeah. <laughs> and they built it into the experience. I would argue the same thing is true with uh, with haptic feedback is building the stuff in. It reminds you that other people are really thinking about these weird, you know, outside the boundaries cases and they're accounting for it. And that creates a really fun uh, experience on your end, a, a discovery that is enjoyable. So there's not just the practical aspect of this can help you avoid getting hurt while you're walking around a physical space, but you're in a virtual world. Right. It can also enhance that experience itself. Though the not getting hurt matters. That does matter. And we talked about this before we came in here too, about how some of the uh, systems out there like HTC Vive Mm -hmm. rely on you moving around a physical space while playing in a virtual environment. You're not just sitting in a chair wearing a headset and holding a controller. Well, that does seem like the, the crucial next step. I mean, if you are inhabiting a virtual environment in which you can move your head as if you're really in the environment, but you can't move the rest of your body as yeah. if you're really in in the environment. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't have much experience with virtual reality. I haven't. I haven't used mm-hmm. any of this new generation or anything. But that seems like that would be a kind of frustrating uh, disconnect or can, half measure to me. It can definitely, uh, at least in my case, make you. F- give you a little bit of that motion sickness feeling not yeah. because usually it's that's due to latency right but if if it's because you are moving about using a controller but you are you moving your head as if you're in the space there's a disconnect between hey this is not how i really navigate my environment in real meat space yeah so my my brain is saying this is weird because you're sitting still you're and you don't feel any motion from the, the chair you are in, you're feeling no sense of acceleration, and yet you are accelerating and decelerating based upon the visual stimuli you're giving. You know what? That's it. Everyone in the stomach, get out. <laughs> right? Like yeah. you just start to feel kind of sick to your stomach. Whereas with the HTC Vive and, and similar uh, products, you are actually moving. You're, you can physically move within the space, but then you're, you're, you, you have the question of, well – how do we make sure a person moving in a physical space doesn't slam up against a wall right. or trip over a chair or and bang up against a desk? As we've talked about before, this introduces all kinds of other problems. Like it would be even cooler to have virtual environments where you could move with your body throughout the space. But you, you'd have to have a dedicated real world space, it seems like. And to, of a decent size. Yeah. And it would also in some way have to – uh have to match the virtual space. Like, what if you want to go uphill in the virtual right. space? Yeah, either the mm. virtual space would have to be completely flat, 
uh, or you would have to have like real world objects that are mapped to virtual objects. Uh, which I've seen. Like, and at that point, like, it's almost like, why, like, why are you doing the virtual the world anyway? Yeah. Cause I mean, like, like, I've seen some examples of, let's, uh, have this, this post here and we map it in the game so it's a tree. Mm-hmm. So if you were to walk up, you could reach out and you could touch and there would actually be a, a, a thing there where the tree is. It wouldn't necessarily feel like a tree. Right. But it would be there. Um, that kind of thing. Or, uh, you know, I've also seen some interesting studies about how you can guide a person so that it feels like they're walking down a straight pathway, but in reality, through visual cues, you they're are curving. A yeah, you're, bit. you're making them curve, so they're walking in a circle, but to them, it feels like they're walking in a straight line. Yeah, that kind of stuff is interesting, but ultimately, you still have the the concern: what happens when they get too close to the wall? With the HTC Vive, the solution is to give a visual cue uh, because you're using two sensors called lighthouses that are able to map out the room that you are in. You're mm-hmm. supposed to put them in, in diagonally opposite corners. And when you get close to a wall, there's an indication on in your view that you're getting too close to a wall. But you could do the same thing with haptic feedback, where you get a little bit of a of a pressure against some part of your body, not necessarily uh linked to gameplay, because right. you don't want to you don't want to create confusion, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to make people think was that because it thundered in the game or am I I'm about to break my nose because I'm getting too close to the wall? Right. But if you're able to differenti- differentiate and use that haptic feedback, it is kind of like having that spidey sense of, oh, I'm, I gotta, I gotta be careful or I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally, uh, smack my face against the door any second now. You know, I wonder if in the end for navigating virtual worlds, what people are going to have to have is is not dedicated flat rooms, but a combination of uh, the omnidirectional treadmill mm-hmm. paired at the same time with a sort of actuated version of those coffee table art pieces people have where they've got all the pins in them and you can create a 3D contour of your hand by sticking them under the pins. First time I ever encountered that was at the P- Imagination Pavilion at Epcot. <laughs> Really? I thought it was the most mind-breaking thing I'd ever seen. I mean, they are pretty cool. I like to play with them. Uh, whenever I see one, I'm impressed. Yeah. But anyway, they, wait, where is it I used to encounter one all the time? I uh, can't remember. Yeah, for me, it was the early 80s when Epcot first opened. I was a kid, and uh, I was easily impressed. I think one of my friends had one. But it, anyway, yeah. imagine something kind of like that. So you're on an omnidirectional treadmill, but also under your feet, you've got you know actuated things that can rise up in programmed contours <laughs> so that you can you can climb, you can descend. It's becoming yeah. like the mini bots in uh in Big Hero Six. Yeah. Uh yeah, I see what you're saying where you've got this um so so it's not just flat, featureless landscape that you're running across, but you can you can have elevation yeah. uh and and encounter that and have it change. Yeah, or I mean another way of doing it would be uh just a tilt, like a, a tilting omnidirectional uh treadmill which oh, we're starting yeah. to get we're starting to get into some pretty complicated territory here to have all this work out properly but it is interesting um <laughs> you know it, and these are these are real questions like at what point do you just say all right no this uh, is, i'm just gonna go outside <laughs> yeah yeah this is this is too complicated let's just build a theme park or uh we can we can get away with this minimum amount of sensory input and create mm-hmm. a really uh, compelling experience because honestly it doesn't take that much 
to get lost in a virtual experience and start to think of it as a real experience. What you need is low latency and high agency. Mm-hmm. Like you need to have very little lag between your actions and you need to actually be able to enact change in your environment. And the more you're able to bring down latency and increase agency, the more Im- immersive the experience tends to be. And it doesn't matter how high fidelity the graphics are at that point or how many different points of feedback you have. Uh, other than, you know, as long as everything supports what you're doing and doesn't detract from it, right? Like, you wouldn't want to have a haptic feedback that that contradicts the other sensory uh, input that you're receiving. That right. would that would be detrimental to the overall experience. But yeah, this was um, a fun thing to just explore. And, and I love the idea of utilizing it in a practical sense for the space application, but also then to see what other potential applications we could uh, find for it here on Earth. Right. Uh, mostly because, uh, you know, I like to play with technology. I don't know if you saw it, but I put on a suit that made you feel like a real old person. Oh, I saw. Yeah. I, I If I didn't like technology, I never would have allowed them to strap on that extremely snug outfit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Lauren, uh, thank you for the suggestion. Wish that you could have been here to to chime in because this was a, a fun one. But uh, we do expect her to be back for our next episode. And of course, listeners out there, if you have any comments, questions, you have suggestions for future topics, please send them our way. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. On Twitter, we are fwthinking. On Facebook, you can search fwthinking in the little search bar. Our profile should pop up right away and you can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's brand new, season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.